Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Well, amen. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? Well, I, uh, I have the... Yes. Um. I got caught up. I just wanted the kids to keep singing. I wanted the choir to come back, and then I realized, oh my gosh, I have to preach. So uh, here we are. Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. As you're finding Hebrews chapter 10, uh, let me welcome you if you're visiting with us. It's just a joy to have you. We are uh, working our way through this New Testament letter, Hebrews, and even though it's Christmas time, uh, this is a great text for us to be in during this Advent season. We're coming to what I think is one of the high points of all of, of of the New Testament, this portion of Hebrews that speaks about the work of Christ and the consequences of it for a believer. So uh, we are in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 is our text this morning. I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to explain it briefly, and then the choir is going to come back up and lead us in a few more songs before we end our time together. Uh, I think you could summarize the Bible with the phrase, the, the fatherhood of God and what he has done to make a family for himself. In fact, one of the great theologians of our age who passed away a few years ago, he was a British theologian, his name is J.I. Packer. He wrote a famous book called Knowing God, which is one of the best books summarizing the Christian faith, I think, that you can buy. And he said that if he was asked to summarize the whole message of the Bible using just three words, he would use these three words. And this is significant. Here's a man who knows the Bible and knows the message of the Bible and is a gifted theologian. And he said that if I had to summarize the Bible in three words, that I would use these three words, adoption through propitiation, meaning that the heart of the message of the Bible is that God the Father is making a family for himself through the work of his Son. And that's what Advent is all about. That's what this season is all about. That's what I think the Bible is all about. That's what Hebrews is all about. And certainly that's what Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 is all about. So let me read our text and pray and explain it to you. And then we'll hear our choral choir of voices bless us in more song. Listen to God's word, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. The writer of Hebrews, who is anonymous to us for God's wise purposes, to show us that the author of Scripture is ultimately not a man but God, I believe, says this in Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more 
as you see the day drawing near. Well, this is God's holy, infallible, perfect, authoritative, sufficient word. Let me pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at this text. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for December 10th. 2023, as we draw to a close, a close of this year and as we look forward to a new year, as we think about everything that's brought us to this moment, we recognize your exhaustive good sovereignty and providence in our lives and in the life of this church. Thank you for these beautiful voices and willing servants that have blessed us through song to lead us now to your word, encourage your people by your word. Lord, help us see the beauty of the incarnate Christ in this text today. May we leave encouraged, transformed, chastened, rebuked, helped, wounded, and healed. And may unbelievers, as Tyler prayed earlier, any that might not know you, may you pull back the curtain. May you give their blind eyes sight and their unbelieving hearts newness of faith so that they might trust in you. And be glorified, I pray. Help me help these people. Now, in this brief time in your word, in Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Well, I think we can break this text down in, and I think this, the flow is, is quite simple. There, there is a, a theological summary in verses 19 through 21, and I, I think you'd do well to just have your copy of God's word open before you, just staring at this text, because we're just going to work through phrase by phrase briefly. But I think there is a theological summary in verses 19 through 21. And in this theological summary are three grounds that the writer of Hebrews is, is putting his exhortation on. So three grounds that he, he's basically summarizing everything that he said up to this point. I think that's what the word therefore means. This is one of the high points. It's, it's a culmination. This is a change now from this point on in Hebrews. We're going to end Hebrews 10 next week with a warning and an encouragement but then Hebrews chapter 11 through 13 is basically exhortation. It's basically application. But Hebrews 1 through the first part of Hebrews chapter 10 has been this glorious theology of the work of Christ. And here is this summary of this, the therefore, this conjunction. And we know because we are, at least some of us were raised in the 70s in Schoolhouse Rock. And we know conjunction, junction. What's your function? Well, the point of this conjunction is to point us back to this theological summary that he makes. And he gives us three grounds and then three exhortations. So the three grounds of this theological summary is, and what is the theological summary, is that believers in Jesus should have confidence to enter the holy place of God, that we would be reconciled to him. That's the point of the Bible, that, that sinners who were separated from God, which is all of humanity, that those whom God has saved would not merely have their sins forgiven, but that they would be reconciled to God as Father, that they would dwell with Him. That's the beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden, that God's people, Adam and Eve at this point, are dwelling with Him in, in communion with God. And sin separates them from Him, and then the rest of the message of the Bible and the consummation of the Bible is the effort and then the completion of that effort to bring a people back into the garden, as it were, back into communion with God. And so he is basing, he's making this point that since this has happened, 
because of what Jesus has done, we should have confidence to reunite, to, to be in union with God, to have confidence to enter the holy place of God, to be with him. And he gives us three grounds. He says in verses 19 through 21, he says that we should have confidence because of the blood of Jesus. So this is the point that he's been making, that the blood of animals, the blood of sacrifices that the old covenant called for were mere shadows that were meant to be a preparation to, to point us to. They were never meant to actually solve. That's why we shouldn't go back to the law, but we should see that the old covenant, the shadow of the old covenant expression of the law was pointing to the reality of the new law that's to be written on our hearts and that the holiness and the sacrifice and the punishment that the law called for is satisfied in the blood of Jesus. So therefore, there's no amount of, of, of sacrifice that a sinner can make on their behalf that will finally and fully reconcile them to God. It's only by the blood of Jesus. And who is this Jesus? He is not just merely a man. He's God in the flesh. And so therefore, Jesus' sacrifice, his blood, the blood of God, substituted on our behalf, standing in our stead, is the basis for the confidence of the Christian that we can with confidence draw near to God because of what Jesus has done, because of his blood, because of the cross, because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of Jesus' answer to the penalty that should have been ours. But it's not just the blood that he bases his, his summary on. It's his flesh. It's through his curtain that we come through this new and living way that is his flesh. And this is glorious because it gets to this idea of not just God's propitiation, not just Jesus' sacrifice for us, but Jesus' identification. So think about the glory of the cross. It's not just this thing that God has done to transact forgiveness. But it's Jesus actually coming in the flesh to become like us, to identify with us. I think probably my favorite part of Hebrews so far has been Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, if you just kind of flip in your Bibles back to Hebrews chapter 2 while you have it open in front of you or click on your phone. But I think you should have a Bible because what happens if your battery dies, you know, then you can't actually open your Bible. So that's why I, I, love, yeah, I love to hear the pages of the Bible. I can't hear your phone swipe, but I can hear your pages flip. <laughs> does something for my soul. I think one of my favorite parts of Hebrews chapter 2 that speaks to the identification, the fleshiness of Jesus, and why that should be so encouraging to us is Hebrews 2 verse 10. It says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, meaning that it's fitting that God in his plan to bring us to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through suffering. In other words, he had to, even though he was perfect and he didn't have to become anything, he actually had to accomplish the suffering in the flesh on the cross. So in that sense, Jesus accomplishes salvation through the incarnation. And then look at verse 11. For he who sanctifies... And those who are sanctified, that's meaning God in us, all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. I think that's 
glorious. Verse 11, maybe of Hebrews chapter 2, might be my favorite verse in all of Hebrews up to this point, that Jesus is not ashamed. There's no wince. There's no, uh, well, you know, there's no explanation. There's no caveat in Jesus's love for us. He comes down out of the choir loft of heaven. He puts his arm around us, and he says, this is the point of Hebrews 2, it's Jesus coming to us in his incarnation, putting his arm around us with no shame, saying, These are my people, God. These are the ones you gave me. I am with my brothers and sisters. And he's singing back to God the Father, saying, These are my people. Accept them based on what I have done. He is not ashamed to call you his brother. That's glorious. Because not just merely because of the cross, but because of his incarnation, his obedience, his endurance against temptation, he knows your pain, he knows your suffering, he knows your trials, he knows your name. As the children sang to us, they were preaching this message to us through song. He knows every tear that falls. Jesus identifies with you. He's not just your savior on the cross, he is your brother in the trenches, defeating the flesh and the enemy that is against us. And then the third ground of this exhortation is not just the blood of Jesus, it's not just the the incarnation of Jesus, but it's it's the continuing priesthood. Look at verse 21, it says, we can enter into the confidence, the holy places, because we have a great high priest over the house of God. And And it would take us to Hebrews chapter 7 where it says that Jesus is this priest that daily lives to make intercession for us. So even though he's made, this is, I I just can't, it's almost so glorious, it's hard to piece together how beautiful this is. Even though once and for all, Jesus has made sacrifice, he's the perfect sacrifice, and he's the perfect priest that goes into the Holy of Holies and offers himself once and for all. So in that sense, his, his priestly duties are finished and he sits down at the right hand of God. But yet still daily, Hebrews chapter 7 says, he daily lives to make intercession for us. So even though his atonement is finished, his, 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 his prayers for us continue. Jesus right now, if you're a Christian, is daily living to make intercession for you before, Father, before the Father. Uh, that, that's glorious. And so based on all of that, based on Jesus's, think about this, this, this triple threat that is for you. Based on Jesus's blood, his sacrifice on the cross that atones for all sin, nothing is stronger than the blood of Jesus. There's no sin that can't be forgiven. Based on the blood of Jesus, Placed on the incarnation of Jesus, he identifies with you. He's not ashamed to call you brother or sister. And based on his daily active intercession for you, here's the conclusion of the writer of Hebrews in verses 19 to 21. Therefore, 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 we can confidently enter the holy places based on what Jesus has done. So, so, so then, how are you feeling about yourself subjectively this week? Okay, take that, and there's a, there's a wide spectrum of our feelings, because we are feeling people, aren't we? Don't we? I don't feel so good. Okay, take your feelings, take your feelings, and bring them to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 21, and 
and, and, and let the, the whininess of our hearts dissipate under the glory and the goodness and the grace and the supremacy of the blood and the incarnation and the intercessory daily right now prayer for you before the Father. And as I like to say, and as some people in my family wince when I say, put that in your woes me pipe and smoke it. And I don't advocate the use of tobacco products, but you get my analogy. <laughs> so those are the three grounds. Those are the three grounds of coming and drawing near. And here's the three exhortations. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider. Let us draw near. This is the, this is the conclusion now. Here's, here's what he's saying. Now, because of this, verses 23 through 20. Five, he gives us three exhortation based on these three grounds. First, let us, look at verse 23, or verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean <laughs> from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's just look at that verse. Let's just... Stare at that verse for a moment and see what it says to us. Let us draw near. That's the point, that God would not just save us, but that he would adopt us, that we would come to the Father, that we would know him, that we would experience him, that we would realize. There's this, you could do this word study, and it's not used in this text, but you could do this word study, especially the way Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses the word to know to know, to, to be aware, to cognitively know something in the New Testament, most often it's not just to know facts, but to know the love of God, which surpasses all understanding. So the heart of the gospel is not merely a transaction on the cross, as glorious as that is, but it's, bringing, it's to bring about this nearness of God with his people that we would know who he is and that he is our father and we are his children and that we would draw near. And he gives us four grounds here for this drawing near, four, four reasons. He says, let us draw near, four, four, four conditions of this drawing near with a true heart. I love this true heart. It's, it's an honest heart. It's you can't, you can't, you know, to a certain degree, we can kind of put on a face before one another. But there's just no, there's no other option but to be honest before the Lord. And so we shouldn't even try. We should just, Lord, here's my heart. I think of that beautiful hymn that we sing, Come Thou Fount. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We come to the Lord with, a, with an honest heart. Lord, I draw near with a true heart. This is where I am. And then he says, with a true heart with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So he's pointing us back to, not because of the strength of our relative righteousness in that moment, but we draw near because of we remember, we are assured, we are convinced in our mind of what Jesus has done for us. Our assurance is not in ourselves, it's in Christ. And the whole point of Hebrews is to show us that Christ is better than the law. He's better than the Old Testament. He's better than any human effort. His work is the betterness of the new covenant. 
And so our assurance is in Christ, not in ourselves. It's a true heart full of assurance. And, and then he says that our hearts are, are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. The conscience, what is our conscience? It's a, a good short definition of the conscience is the internal witness of our moral obligation to God. Let me say that again. That's what our conscience is. It's just this internal witness that all of us have. Every human has this written on their hearts. It's the internal witness of our moral obligation to God. And I want to just zero in on this for a second and just say that this is, this is the privilege, this is the glory of the new covenant, of the work of the gospel, that your conscience can be clean before the Lord. He says that our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. I want you to consider the power of the conscience. When a conscience is troubled, even if a conscience, even if a person has all the right things to confess, when a conscience is troubled, it can drive a person mad. And maybe just this, this verse here just might be used by the Lord and by His Spirit in the heart of somebody here to say that there is a way because we are masters. We are masters at performance. There is a way that a person can confess all of the right things. They can say that they believe all the right things and they can go through all of the right motions and they can kind of get by in Christian community, but your conscience, your conscience can be at war within you because the goodness, the sweetness, the freedom of the gospel of grace has never really cleaned and soothed your heart. And friends, if that's you, if that's you, I plead with you to, to wrestle with this text, to, to confess your guilty conscience to a brother or sister that you trust before the sun goes down on this day. A guilty conscience, a troubled conscience, will drive a person mad. But a conscience at peace, a conscience that is convinced, that's sure, that it's received the grace of God, can stabilize a person despite the deepest of sufferings and trials in their life. And the good news of the gospel is that we're not just cleaned on the outside. We're not just dressed up for religious festival. We're not just washed so that we can attend some ceremony, but our hearts are clean. And now I'm no longer defensive. I'm no longer protective because no matter what happens to me, the Lord has cleaned me from the inside out. And he says here then finally that our, we have true hearts and full assurance of faith, hearts cleaned from its evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Well, what's that about? Although he doesn't use the word baptism, I think, I think that what's going on in the mind of the writer of Hebrews, and this is just my thought, so I could be wrong on this, but I think I stand in a long line of historic witness of the church that would interpret this verse this way, that this is probably a reference to a believer's baptism, that they can look back on that moment when they publicly confessed the Lord and his work in their life, and then the community of their church family that said, yes, 
we believe that your confession is true, not based on anything in you, but in what Christ has done. And you are confessing that Jesus is Lord, and therefore we validate, we affirm, we see with our eyes the grace of the Lord in your life. We believe your confession, and we are ratifying, we're endorsing, we're coming around you, and we're saying, yes, you're one of us, God is your Father. And I think that's why baptism is so important in the life of the New Covenant community, that that we're saying together, it's not just an individual act, it's not just something that you do for yourself, but it's a witness with your brothers and sisters, because you're meant to live in community, that you are saying that Christ is my Lord, my sins are forgiven, and I have something beyond just my own subjective opinion and feelings to give me assurance in this, not just the Lord as glorious as that is, but the community of believers around me. And now I'm here with my people, and they're saying, yes, this one is ours, we are his, and God is our Father. And what does that do? It, it, it confirms our, 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 our confession. It confirms our confession that we can draw near. Because our hearts, as complicated as they may be, We come to Jesus not based on our hearts, but on assurance of what he has done, knowing that he sprinkles our consciences clean, and knowing that we have a group of people called the local church that we have covenanted with that are are confirming, that are authenticating our faith, and therefore we draw near to God. That's the Christian life, I think, in summary. But we don't just draw near. I love this reality here. We, he says in verse 23, that we hold fast. We hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Now, I, I love the exhortations in the Bible to do things like hold fast or to not lose heart. And you can take those one of two ways. I, I think sometimes if you don't really get the honesty of the Bible... It can be a kind of exhortation that means that you should always be this amazing soldier for Jesus. But I think that the reason these exhortations are there is because the Bible is honest. The Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible knows that we need these exhortations. We need these reminders to hold fast to our confession because we are so apt to not hold fast to our confession. Do you see that point? The, the, the exhortation is there because of our weakness. It's not there to say that there is no place for weakness. I, I think we all understand this in just kind of a human level. This is why even the best of, of maybe sports teams, or think of a football team, that uh, you know, might need a little extra zip from their coach. Let's just say, for example, theoretically, that one team has completely outplayed another team all game long, okay? And let's just say that through a strange series of events, that team that has outplayed the other team at the end of the game needs a goal line stand. We all know that it's that team, it's not because that team is somehow weaker, it's just that team needs, that team needs to call a timeout. And the defensive coordinator calls the, the players over and he says, come on now, hunker down, like, come on, Get, fire off, go, let us hold fast, let us hold fast to our confession. 
It's fourth down. This is it. This is the play of the game. Hold fast to your confession. And oh, by the way, this actually did just play out yesterday. And a little thing, we, you guys knew it was coming somewhere or another. When army and a goal line stand, beat Navy once again and all is right in the universe. Sorry, Matt. But friends, what's the point here? I'm being silly here. What's the point? Is that the exhortation is for the faint-hearted. It's for the weak. And it's meant to bring about, to rouse, to call out that thing that is truer about you than the weakness of your hand. Hold fast to what? Your strength? No, hold fast to the confession of your hope, meaning hold fast to the beauty, the truth, the promise of the gospel, that Jesus is yours, that Jesus has forgiven you, that Jesus is coming back. Hold fast to the oak tree in the midst of the storm, because even as you are being blown by the storm, the tree will hold. Hold fast without wavering, why? Because you're good. No, because Jesus is good. Because he who promised is faithful. Don't be discouraged because you need exhortation. Don't be discouraged because you need a pep, a halftime speech by the Holy Spirit. Know that that's part of the Christian life. Let us draw near, not because of our strength, but because of Jesus's. And let us hold fast, not because of our strength, but because of Jesus's. And then he concludes and he says, let us... Consider, I love this verse, verse 24, let us consider, let us consider, let's conspire, let's think about how to, even the word might be used here more, more, uh, uh, more sort of specifically, let us provoke one another, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good words, the good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I want you to note the emphasis. I just note the emphasis here. The world around these Hebrew Christians in the first century was getting really, really hard. I think this is an important point, and I don't want you to miss this. The world around these first century Hebrew Christians was getting very hard. And here's the context of Hebrews. Again, I keep reminding us about it almost every week. But if you're newer today, just to get a little background, the letter of Hebrews is written to ethnically Jewish Christians who were probably living in Rome, who were dealing with the persecution of a Roman Empire for their faith in Jesus. And they were tempted to go back to Judaism, which was more socially acceptable. And so there's pressure on them for being Christians. And notice the emphasis here in verse 24 and 25. Let us, he doesn't say, yeah, listen, hear me, hear me, hear me rightly on this. He doesn't say, be a soldier for Christ and stand up against the culture with a kind of antagonism in you. And there's places and times for that. But actually, the primary emphasis here is look around the church and think about how you can stabilize your brother and sister 
because you are a city on a hill. Strengthen one another rather than getting mad on Facebook. Stir one another up. Stabilize one another. All of these glorious truths of the gospel are meant to not make you angry at the culture, even though we should be chagrined and we should, we should be vexed and we should pray for and we should be witnesses in the public square. All those things, yes and amen. But the first emphasis here is to stir one another up, to help one another follow Jesus. Now, don't, don't hear me say that and think that that is to the exclusion of all the things that Christians should be doing in the public square. Yes and amen. But the primary, at least in this text, the thrust of this text is to look around these people that you're in covenant with, who've affirmed your faith through your baptism, who you're doing life with, who at times, come on now, are hard to love. And provoke them, stir them up, consider, put time into thinking how you might help them follow Jesus. That takes effort. And that's discipleship, and that's the Christian life. So what should you do, Christian? Hang in there with that imperfect group of Christians that you're around. And for a moment, think less about yourself and more about the hard-to-love brother or sister around you. And give time and attention and effort to thinking how you might bless them. And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, don't stop meeting together because when you meet together, it's not primarily about you, but it's about your presence together worshiping this risen Savior and how you, in your little contribution, might be used as a blessing, as a stabilizing force that somebody that you're sitting next to, that you're praying for, that you're encouraging, might be strengthened and then encourage one another all the more as you see the day, capital D, drawing near. So he says, this is just simple, practical exhortation. Draw near to Jesus because of what he's done. Hold fast to him because you're weak, but he's strong. And now, spend most of your time thinking about how you might encourage and bless somebody in your faith family because Jesus is coming back and you need to hold on and try. I need a microphone. Now it's back on. A simple exhortation that the writer of Hebrews is giving to us at the mountain peak of Hebrews chapter 10. Well, I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, choir, I want you to feel the liberty to make your way back up to the stage and bless us in song. And as I'm praying, I want you, if this word has hit your heart, if you're a believer, and you're thinking about giving up, or you're thinking that your guilty conscience has left you on the outside to trust in Jesus, to repent of your sin, to draw near afresh to the Lord, to remember the gospel. And if you came into this room not a believer, I want you, please, to consider these words that you will someday stand before the Lord. You will enter the holy place. All of us will. It's called the judgment day. That was the end of Hebrews chapter 9. We will all stand before the Lord. And what will your plea be on that day? Will it be the blood of Jesus, the work of Christ on the cross? 
Or will it be your own righteousness? You have no hope on that day unless it's Jesus' blood, unless it's Jesus' work on the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection. And so if that's you today, I want you to not leave this room without answering that question. What is your plea on that day? That day in verse 25 that's drawing near. Will it be Christ or yourself? I plead with you to consider trusting in Jesus today. And if you're doing that right now for the first time, please, please don't leave this building without speaking to somebody that you know as a Christian. I'll hang out here for as long as you want. But if you need to trust in Jesus today, then you need to do it right now. Don't presume on the grace of God. Do it today. And if you're a believer, let, let, this, let this draw you in afresh. Let it put strength in your hands and then let it cause you to forget about yourself and consider others. Let me pray. Lord, as we, as we listen now to our brothers and sisters minister to us in song afresh, may we hear these words from the preacher of Hebrews. May we see the grounds for our drawing and entering into the holy of place, the blood of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, the priesthood of Jesus. And may we heed the exhortations to draw near, to hold fast, and to consider one another. Lord, do your work in your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.